0: You're listening to the Boise Community Church podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. Please turn to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And while you're turning there, I have two things I wanted to share real quick. One, I wanted to say hi to those that are tuning in on our podcast specifically Nate, because Nate always listens to our podcast, so it's always fun to leave little personal things in there, so hi, Nate, if you're listening. Uh, But on a serious note, some of you may remember that we did a giving campaign for a couple of weeks for a woman that uh, was in the middle of a domestic abuse situation and was trying to work through just figuring out those things, so we were able to give a decent chunk of money, around $500 to her, and uh, as a church, that's what we gave, and so I actually got this card in the mail, and one of the things I think is really important is sharing the fruit of what you guys are a part of, Um, and I want to say that this fruit is in two ways. I think it's a way that the church is doing what the church is meant to do and just caring for those in our community that are in really difficult and hard circumstances. And so I want to say thank you to those of you that were able to give and pray and be a part of that. Um, and I also want to say thank you to the individual that brought the need up, that was willing to step out and say, hey, this is something that's going on, and I'd love to kind of give an up. Op- I'd love to see if the church would love to show up. Um, and it honestly, it blesses me so much because we are such an intimate church. We're, we're not large in number, but there's a, a large heart in this community. And I'm really grateful to and on, truly honored to be the pastor here. And so I wanted to read this card to you. Dear Pastor Newton and members of the Boise Community Church, Thank you so much for the kind card and the generous gift. The kiddos and I have been, been so blessed these past few months. The amount amount of love and kindness and support given by family, friends, co-workers, and community members have given me so much hope, especially during moments when I felt like I was drowning. We are still in the midst of the after effects of it all, but I feel so much more connected now and less isolated and alone. Thank you, and then all of their names. And I want to share that with you because... Whether you gave a lot or you gave a little, it's, you're making a real-life impact in a family that is going through such a tremendously difficult moment, and the, their world is completely upside down, and so I am. I'm super blessed by you, and I'm really thankful for you, and um, wanted to make sure I took the opportunity to share that with you this morning. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and let's take a moment to pray before we dive in. Jesus, we invite ourselves into your presence this morning and we ask for you to speak through the power of your spirit. May this not just be a time for us to learn neat things or to find good quotes and different things like that, Lord, but may this be a time that we truly are seeking to be made into your image. To be transformed into a, a person of love. And so, Jesus, we just lift ourselves up to you this morning. We lift up our families, our finances, our stress, our worries. And we just give them all to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I am incredibly excited to jump into the book of Mark. You know, as a church. It was my it was a desire and a goal for me to to jump into a gospel this year and to, to teach through a gospel. And so, as a church, it's a it's for those that call this church theirs. If this is your home church and this is where you do life, really, we have a goal for you. We have a desire for you, a vision for you, and it it really is that you would be made more and more into the image of Jesus and grow into more fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so as I was praying about this year, that's where I was led to, you know, jumping into the book of Mark. And what's interesting about the book of Mark is there's some interesting aspects that, that naturally pop up when it comes to the book of Mark. Um, it's packed with quite a bit in the short amount of chapters that are there it doesn't highlight Jesus's teachings in particular it doesn't have a huge chunk of them like the book of Matthew where we get the Sermon on the Mount but instead it focuses on what he did and I actually believe that the gospel of Mark should be preached in the church more often than it probably is especially today because I personally believe that when we look at the church in like the global sense or in the West I believe the church is oftentimes educated far beyond their maturity or their willingness to obey. And I, and I would include myself and our church in that category. Because I think there's an aspect where we focus so much on, because of the great enlightenment, where we focus on the idea of knowledge and having the right motives and attitudes before we ever jump into the realities of doing the things that Jesus calls us to do. And so Mark is the only gospel writer that was not one of 12 himself. He is not a phys- he was a physician. He was well educated on the Greek language and was well enough that he could write on behalf of others who didn't know the language. Which there are many that believe the book of Mark is actually written from the perspective of the apostle Peter who we know was a very uneducated man as he was just a fisherman. Which would be like kind of the modern day equivalent of probably a fisherman. You know, most fishermen are not the brightest cats, but I'm sure there's a few out there that are. And if your family's in fishing, I apologize. Um, but Mark is this, is this literary genius, but Peter is the, is the actual source of what's going on here. And so, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Please follow along with me as I read out loud to you. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son. Whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. If I was going to title this message, it would be this, it would be an incomplete messenger. But what's going on in this chapter, and what's going on in the beginning, it's, it's this it's the beginning of the gospel, which is the beginning of good news. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in John the Baptist. Jesus' cousin who was out in the Jordan preaching a repentance for everyone involved and everyone in the area is what brought all this about. He's fulfilling this promise way back from Isaiah. When I was in Bible college, this one used to be one of my favorite verses and was one of these strong things that I've always kind of held in my heart as I pursued pastoral ministry, wanting to be someone that is a messenger for Jesus and the voice of one calling out, preparing the way for him, straightening the paths that have been made crooked for a variety, from a variety of different reasons. And the reality is, in my experience, there is many times that we don't realize the role and responsibility that John the Baptist actually had. And he's kind of this strange cat. He's got this different deal about him. You know, he's got weird, rough clothing. Like nobody wears camel's hair unless maybe you're in the North End and that's kind of your thing. Um, He has a really strange diet. He only eats, you know, locusts and honey. Uh, And he's going off about everybody needing to repent all the time. Like John doesn't strike me as the guy like if I saw him on the street, be like, I want to hang out with that guy. He's the guy that I really want to take some of my cues from. Dude that's got like locust feet all in his teeth and you know, just hot and sweaty and always in this river. And a lot of times I think we can see John the Baptist as this guy that's telling everyone that there's this need to repent out in the public arena. As I was thinking about how I used to go to the, the Boise farmer's market and I'd always see these guys out there They'd have their bullhorn, and they're yelling, and they're like, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. I'm like, whoa, this guy is intense. Um, And there's not usually a lot of fruit in it. And what I realized as I was preparing for this was that was such a unique calling for John. His calling really was to call people to repentance, to bring them back, which that's what repentance means. To repent is a, it was a sailing term, is when you would cruise in your ship, and the, the captain of the ship would yell, repent, it meant turn around, go the other way. This, you're not heading in the right direction. And if we keep on this way, and when they said it, it wasn't like, hey, I think we should repent. It was like a very drastic, like, we are probably going to die if we don't listen and do this. So it was an order that was yelled and a command. And so a lot of times I think we can, get, we can forget that this was a special role that John had. And so this idea of this incomplete message or this incomplete messenger really is John, John the Baptist. So who is John the Baptist? Well, he, it says that he was a voice calling in the wilderness, that he was preparing the way. He was making the path straight. And notice something about this that's really unique about him, that he was a voice. He wasn't just doing stuff. On his own accord. He had something meaningful to say, and he was calling people to himself to hear the message he had. He wasn't going to the people and saying, I'm going to tell you what's up. He had the people coming to him by the thousands to to be baptized by him. And so, in this, we should be asking ourselves well, what is John the Baptist's message then? If it's incomplete, if it's not whole, what is it? Well, it has two parts. One one part of it was to prepare the way, and the second part was to reset the path, to make it clear. And his message was one of repentance, to receive the forgiveness of sins, and that he was preparing the hearts of the people for what was coming. Because he called the people to repent of their sins, because they had become passive in their heart towards God and his commands. No longer caring about their sin, chasing their own pleasure and their own passions. Caring more about their status in their community and and submitting to the Roman government rather than being true and faithful to who God was calling them to be as the children of God, as the people of God. In church, I think if we're honest, I think we can look at the church today, whether it's in here or outside in another church. I think we could all see the same things in us. A lukewarm faith that it doesn't have a passion or a zeal or a desire to see real change happen. Some of my favorite preachers and pastors that I listen to on a regular basis are on a little bit more of the Pentecostal, so they, they believe much more in the gifts of the Spirit. And they talk about this passion that they, they want to see in their people. And I can relate to that. Like, I want to see, in myself, I want to have this passion for Jesus. I want our church to be a place that people feel safe and people can come and And feel uh, Jesus' love and grace and feel loved by the community. And I think we do that well. But I also want to see our church be a place that we have stories of restoration and healing and deliverance from addiction and allowing transformative, transformative work to happen in this community. But the thing is, that work never happens without passion, without a drive. And so John is out there in the Jordan preaching and and sharing and calling people back to this true way of living, to not compromise in their faith, to lean back in. All good stuff, like nothing that John says, I want to be clear, I'm not saying anything he said is bad, it's just not complete. Because in this, John was preparing the way of the Lord by reminding the people of who they were supposed to be as the children of Israel. His message was simply this. You've missed it. You need to turn back to God and you need to get out of your own way. So that's part one. Where John John is calling people and preparing the way. And then he goes to this aspect where he's making the paths that have become crooked straight. John was called to make them straight again. And you're like, well, what does that even mean? It's talking about corruption. This was when he was speaking against the corruption that was prevalent in this day and age in their time. Which if you go to any third world, second world country, now here, you know, there is corruption across the board in the political, you know, realm. I remember living in Africa for a season and I lived in Uganda, and I was so thankful I wasn't there for an election because every election cycle, it becomes this bloodbath because of the tribalism, because whoever is the reigning tribe wants to hold on to all the power. And in that, because when they have the power, they have access to money and they can steal money and do all these different things to, to elevate them and push other people that they don't like down. It's the same thing that we see here in the West now. A little less violent and bloody, but still pretty bad. Uh, so John's preaching against this type of corruption that's been, been coming forward and prevalent Taking what had been bent for personal gain and bringing it back to the real focus. Political corruption inside and outside of the Jewish community. We see that John is actually put to death later on because he's criticizing King Herod, who has married ultimately his sister, which it's bad news bears to do that. So, And that ultimately ends to him getting his head locked off and put on a platter. He also is known for criticizing the religious leaders who were using their positions for power and authority rather than for service. John criticized them when they came out. And they, he says, who warned you to come out here, you brood of vipers, you snakes, you terrible people? That's what I, part of what I love about John. Is he's very direct, and he doesn't have like that like PC aspect about him, which I kind of like. But he, he talks to me. he says, you think because you're from the bloodline of Abraham, because your bloodline is Jewish, you think you're good. But guess what? You're not. It's about you bearing fruit in your life. And what's the fruit that's coming out? And the same question we can ask ourselves, what fruit is coming out of our lives? Again, when I was living in Uganda, it was a very, I was in the capital of Kampala. And so everybody's either Christian or Muslim. It was just like split across the board, or there was like, you know, the the demonic. There was some of those too. They were they were less fun to talk to. Um, but you had these two aspects, and the Christians usually were pretty good about being true to their faith and kind of walking in it. But the thing that was interesting, it was like you could be Muslim but not be a practicing Muslim, and it was always a very interesting dynamic when I was there, which I was like eighteen. And so it was this new idea to me. It was very interesting to me. So we were, I'm, I'm there and I'm watching all this stuff go down. And I would talk, eventually learned this way to ask people when I would talk to the Muslims. I would say, are you a Muslim because of practice or are you a Muslim because of birth? Because it was something that was either like you, something you had chosen and you were fully given to or it was something that just was part of your family. Similar to kind of how we have like Catholics, you know, in the Latin heritage. And so John's challenging these people, though. He's challenging them, and he's asking them, where is the fruit? Where is the aspects of your life that are really coming to the surface? Because they had forgotten the role, these roles. When you're jumping into a political realm, what's the number one thing that you're supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be serving. So it's not about you in your views. So Maybe, you know, a little bit. You're meant to be serving your community, to be bettering and bringing unity in your community. The religious leaders, like the, my job as a pastor is not to rule and reign over you. calling of a pastor is called is to shepherd to walk alongside and to love the sheep there was this old man that i used to to meet with who was a pastor for many years and i remember when i was young he always would say this thing to me and it he was kind of like a riddle he would always say all these riddles all the time it was always really confusing to try to gather what he was saying And he would tell me when I would get frustrated with our high school kids or different things going on, he would say, Mike, your job is not to beat the sheep into submission and into their role. Your job is to love the sheep. To call the sheep by name, as Jesus says in John 17. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. When I call them, they come to me. But Jesus isn't like the way that maybe some of us talk to our kids sometimes. We're like, I just need you to get over here. You know, we've all had that moment. It's patient and it's gracious and it's kind. So these men had forgotten these things. Thus, the path had been made crooked. But these are the leaders of the people from a political Standpoint from a government standpoint, from a religious standpoint. So everything is all whacked out at this point. And John's job is to put it all back in order and to prep it for Jesus' coming. But his message was incomplete. Look at what he says in and of himself. In verse 7 it says, And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So simply put, what John is telling us, he's saying that hope is coming. I'm not the hope, but the hope is coming. We know that that one, that hope is Jesus. It's God in human flesh And many times we feel okay with living in the place of an incomplete message, thinking it'll be fine. And honestly, some of the ways that churches operate today, we carry this idea of we want to create disciples like John. They know the right things, they say the right things, they're calling people to repent, they're calling them to turn from and create better habits. But here's the deal that's not the message of the gospel. That's the message of being a good person. Because hope couldn't come from John. Hope doesn't come from me. All he could do was point out their failures and aim them towards repentance. We don't have a gospel of sin management where it's like, hey, we just need you to feel bad about your sin and stop sinning. I don't put a ton of stock personally in saying the sinner's prayer. I used to say to my youth group kids all the time, I'd be like, I don't care that you said the sinner's prayer. That doesn't mean anything to me. Because you know what? It's not in the scriptures. And I would also tell them at times, I'd be like, I believe baptism is incredibly important. It's totally, it's one of our sacraments. It's something that we hold very, very sacred in the church. But I don't put stock in that. I don't put stock in church attendance or the amount that you give or any of that stuff. All are valuable parts of growing into a more mature follower of Jesus, but they aren't the main thing. When I'm working with someone that is struggling in their faith, when they're like, I don't know if I know Jesus. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm a Jesus follower. You know, around this idea of salvation, I always ask them the same question. And I'm going to ask you the question Has God spoken to you? Not audibly. If he has spoken audibly, I give you props. But you know, has he spoken to you through prayer or in your Bible reading? Has there been that moment where the Spirit spoke to you personally? Where God engaged with you and you sensed his presence deep in your soul? In John's baptism of water, there was this repentance of sin, but it wasn't enough. In our baptism of water, it is a public declaration to all those around that you are a follower of Jesus. But in John's words, there's another baptism that I believe all of us need. But we need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, and the Scripture states... That the Holy Spirit is the one that seals us, he teaches us, he leads us, he guides us. And that's the thing. I can baptize you in water. We can walk down the street and I can dip you in the river. Heck, I'm really excited to baptize people right there. I think it's awesome that we're so close to the river. Anyone in this room could baptize somebody in the river. But the Holy Spirit, I can't, I can't manufacture that. I can't be like, all right, read this book, do these prayers. Hey, this is going to happen. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't come from me. Doesn't come from Kyle, doesn't come from Graham, doesn't come from Pammy or Bree or any of the other people in this room. It comes only through Jesus. And so as Jesus shows up and is baptized by John as an act of submission to the Father... And it's in this moment that everything changes. It says that the heavens were torn open and the Spirit is seen by everyone descending like a gentle dove and resting on Jesus. It doesn't say that it was a dove. It says it was like a dove. John had a good theology. John had tremendous character. John was faithful. John was a man seeking to do what was right. John was following his calling, but John will never be able to save himself or anyone else because of these things. His message was incomplete because it wasn't about him. And as the Spirit descends on Jesus, God speaks from the heavens saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. My God, that's beautiful. So many of us carry tremendous wounds from family. And I just want to give an opportunity for you in this moment. What would it mean for your parent to speak this over you? And so those of us that have children at home, I want us to be like the father. And today I wanna encourage you, if you have children, I don't care if they're like six months old, speak that over your children. Because those are the two things that kids need to hear. I love you. God the Father was confirming along with the Holy Spirit as the Spirit rests on Jesus and God speaks this blessing over Jesus who Jesus really is that he is God in human flesh, or as John the Baptist called him in another gospel, that he is the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we would be brought not just into a place of being saved, but into adoption, into God's family. Because you know what? I know that some of you in this room are never going to hear those words from your parents. But this is the beauty of of following Jesus. Because the same words that God the Father spoke over Jesus, if you are in Christ and you are a follower of Jesus, He, the Father, speaks these things over you this morning. So hear this. Allow this to to take root in your soul. You are my son who I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my daughter who I love. And I am well pleased. And So this morning I want to ask you, can you receive that? Do you believe that God is pleased with you? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you trust Jesus? Because I know that he does. And I know he loves you because he gave his son for you. He is pleased with you if you are in Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus and got out of the rat race of trying to perform yourself to be good enough. And as the Spirit rests rested on Jesus, may you rest in Jesus, knowing that He has paid the price for all of our sin. And He has not just paid the price and just said, Hey, we're good. The bad part's taken over, but he said, I want you to be a part of my family. I'm going to prepare a home for you. And so church, don't live standing on your accomplishments or on your theology or your acts of service. Simply put, stand on the grace that is Jesus this morning. Because that is the message. That is the gospel. And so as I close this morning, I'm going to invite all of you right now to come up and grab the communion elements. Because I would like us to take communion together this morning. And so feel free to to come up. We try to take communion every Sunday because it is the thing that really unifies us as a community. In our church, I know that there's very different backgrounds and histories and financial structures and different things that are going on. And what brings us together is not, this isn't a social club, but what brings us together is the work of Jesus. So as you hold these elements, may you, you know, as you eat and as you drink, we are proclaiming in the saving work that Jesus has done. And I want to prompt you this morning to use this as an opportunity to do some real soul searching in your life. Have you given your life to Jesus or have you been living life and trying to fit him into these neat little compartments and kind of just trying to make it fit in? And as you hold these elements this morning, I want you to look at them. And I simply want you to hear these words again and allow those to be the picture and the promise for you. You are my son or my daughter who I love. With you I am well pleased. I'm so proud of you. So Jesus, as we hold these elements and as we prepare to go throughout our day, Lord, I just lift ourselves to you. We give you thanks for the gift of communion, the gift of your word. Lord, I pray that we would be allowing your spirit to do real transformative work in our lives and in our stories. Wherever we're at in our journey, whether we're in a place of struggling or a place of flourishing, Jesus, I'm thankful that you are there. And so, Lord, I do, I pray that if there's doubt, if there's fear, if there's an inability to hear those words and make them personal, Lord, I pray that your spirit would open the heart that they be able to receive those words as from you because they are true. And so Jesus, as we close this morning, my heart is full, my heart is amazed. And I pray that we would see you and that we would submit to me, submit to you because you are beautiful and you are loving. And that we would live following you and not give ourselves to chasing endless and unfulfilling pursuits. As we know that you are the only one who truly gives life, beauty, and purpose. And so Jesus, we do, we hold the elements and we thank you for your body broken for us. We thank you for your blood shed for us as you've welcomed us into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.